guys. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. If you're new and if you're an OG, welcome back. It's nice to see you. I hope I hope you're doing well. I hope you're doing great. Hope you're doing fabulous. Hope this show is a, is a place where you can come and just feel like yourself, maybe get a little inspo, maybe laugh a little bit. We know there are a lot of podcasts out there, so we appreciate you spending time with us yep. every single week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, new episodes. And means the world. Are, truly. Exciting things happening with Almost 30. We had camp this past weekend, Camp Almost 30, which was incredible. It was a free event. And really, Lindsay and I just brought together some of the best healers, tealer, healers, tealers. <laughs> it's actually a new person. It's a new type. New 2021 tealers. It's a tealers, <laughs> literally. Once you guys get to the fifth dimension, you guys understand tealers. Um, and just really awesome people that we wanted to bring in the new paradigm with together. And it was just so powerful. So thank you everyone for coming. Thank you for all of the people that spoke for speaking. I know it was a free thing that they did for the generosity of their time. So we're just really grateful that it just came together so well. So well. And now we are open enrollment for our membership. So this has been something that has been uh, in the works for quite some time now, something that Kristen and I just have been so passionate about creating you know, that space for you all to come together in community, to learn, to grow, to connect. And we're really, really proud of it. So uh, until I believe January 31st, enrollment is open for six months of the membership. So we are excited for you to learn more. Go to almost30.com. Yeah. And we created this membership because, you know, Lindsay and I have been doing this with you guys for four years now. And we've always wanted to do a membership and it just really was apparent to us after 2020 when we weren't able to see you on tour. We weren't able to be with you guys in person for events and and things like that. And the way in which the world is changing, we wanted to make sure that everyone felt really safe and supported. And by having a container of six months with our membership. So when you sign up, you're with us for six months. We're able to create a really accountable space where you can grow with us. And we wanted it to be that way so that it was something that felt like was going to change your life, was going to provide you with a community of people, was going to provide you with amazing workshops and extra content and one-on-one time with Lindsay and I. And we're really, really proud of it. Yeah. We cannot wait to connect with you. As she said, um, there's an extra episode in there. There is a monthly gathering with us. It's just really fun and connected and deep with our members. We'll also be offering affirmations and other supplemental content to go along with the theme of the month. So every month has a really intentional theme. And I think this is really like just for me personally, it provides a bit of structure so that we can, I don't know, this year could be, it could be also kind of crazy. And so it really roots me if I have like something that I am operating under like a word, like a theme of the month so I can always come back to it. So that's really our intention there. But can't wait to see you in the membership. Tell your friends about it. It'll be fun to kind of do this as you know, a big expanding community. Again, almost30podcast.com for more info. Yeah, it's going to be the best. I can't wait to just channel all of our energy into one place. Because mm-hmm. last year we were doing tons of events. Like we just do tons of public things with people, which is awesome. But I'm really excited to just make deeper change with people in the community in this way where it's like the people that are like, okay, I want to do this. Like I actually want to heal female friendships and be seen by other females, or I want to learn more about my spiritual path, or I want to 
just like increase my ability to feel calm. Whatever they want to do and having that container together, I think is just going to be really beautiful. I agree. I agree. Can't wait. Oh man. Should we tell them about the other day? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Uh, The other day, we were lucky enough to have our healer Kiki in person. And we were really excited. She's coming down from the Pacific Northwest and she has just been instrumental in a lot of our healing done in 2020 healing and protection and just you know getting closer to our own intuition psychic abilities we all have them and so uh, i knew it was going to be a powerful day we got a message from aaron rose earlier that day just being like hey just sending you a lot mm-hmm. of love <laughs> protection as you do the work with kiki today and she was coming around 10 a.m. And at 9.30, I'm like hanging out in the apartment where we're all going to gather. I'm by the window. I think I was doing like a half-assed workout or something. And all of a sudden, I hear a siren and I see a car racing down the road. It hits the car at the light and it veers off onto the medium, median, median, and then tail spins and stops. And Seven cop cars come racing in in those three seconds. Someone jets out of the car and runs. And then cops surround this car and pull out their guns. Nope. Matter of 10 seconds. And I was just like... Lindsay was filming and providing commentary. (laughs) Yeah, I I was providing some really special commentary. It was like a mom. (laughs) You're like, and now now they've got all their guns. (laughs) And now it was like you were going to submit it to a news source. I was like, that car just hit that car and oh God. And you got angles. You were like down on the ground and then you were up and you were showing all the angles. I was just thinking if shots were like fired, yes. I had to be low. That's so true. I had to be low. And nowadays you got to film those situations. Yeah, well, I, that's that's kind of exactly what I was what I was thinking. But yeah, it, it, it did not escalate too much. These were babies. babies. They were babies in the car. Dude, that was... Sorry, not an actual baby, but like... Children. Teen- teenagers. The girl was looked like she was 16. Yeah. There was a young girl looks like she was 16. There was that guy, Pete Davidson. Pete Davidson looked so like... this dude that was kind of mm. hot. He was yeah. a little hot. I kept telling Lindsay, I'm like, is he hot? <laughs> he had a jawline that did not quit. <laughs> a jawline that did not quit. Cheekbones that were... Unreal. Really tight haircut. Really tight haircut. He had his like beanie on. He was like, I, I felt my Ohio 10th grade self thinking this totally might be the one. Go. And if I was oh in Ohio God. in 10th grade and he was getting arrested, I would be like even I'll more into you. it. Yes, I would be even more into it. I'd be like, wow, that's a leader right there. I'd be like, I'd be like that's Dude. a man like, you know, it's like, it's so weird. I don't know if you guys had this experience, but in Ohio, it was like, there was kind of that romantic idea of- Yes. Of that. What was that? Of writing to your boyfriend in prison. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or being like Bonnie and Clyde. Like, I remember, <laughs> yes. I remember I was a soft, I was a junior and I hung out with this girl. Her name was Rachel Clark, the most beautiful girl like in Ohio. Oh. She didn't go to my school. She had this boyfriend. I won't say their names, whatever. I shouldn't have said Rachel Clark, but you guys wouldn't know her. Rachel and this other person, and they were- they would deal drugs. And it was like, she loved that it was like a Bonnie and Clyde. Yes. She would tell me, she's like, yeah, it's like Bonnie and Clyde. We like drop off Coke. We could do this, blah, blah, blah. Whoa. And I was like, it's so weird because I was like, that's so cool. It's like, do you do you realize as a, what? how old were you? I was 16. They were 16, 17, yeah. something like that. It's like, do you realize like you could go to 
federal prison. Like, Saturn, do, do you really? You don't. You're like, this is so cool. I'm dealing drugs, Bonnie and Clyde. And then you're like, I could go to federal and I'll prison. Never, this is a very mind. weird thing. But I'll never forget. I was like in her bathroom one time. She was getting ready. And she was talking about, this is like, I'm laughing. It's just so <laughs> fucked up. She was talking about how her mom like made her only eat carrots before homecoming. She's like, my mom made me only eat carrots <laughs> three days before homecoming. Child she wanted abuse. me to fit in my dress. But it didn't even seem real. Like, it was just like a weird story. I was like, dude, what are you talking? Were you orange? Like, and why she might be dating a drug dealer. Dude, I, it, was a, it was a whole experience and a Aww. whole mess. That, But that experience of feeling like bad was cool. Yeah. And doing rebellious yeah. things. I remember I had a guy friend. Cops came to this party one time. A few of us hid in the closet. Mm-hmm. Me and two, three other people hid in the closet. And the cops came. And they actually didn't find us in the closet. But everyone else got arrested. Wow. They didn't even open the closet door, which is so crazy. Dum-dums. Everyone else got arrested. <laughs> and my guy friend, Brandon, who thought he was like so cool, thought he could outrun the cops and didn't. That's like these morons out front. Yes. I'm like, what do you think? What do you think? There was seven cop cars. <laughs> it was so, but that guy getting arrested, I mean, he had so much cash in his wallet. Yeah. So the guy out front, when they got arrested, hot Pete Davidson had the cops were, the police officers, I say cops, my dad gets mad at me. Is that weird? Yeah. I, I know. I know. I remember that experience. But like, the cops. Yes. Um, but the police, police officers were counting the bills. And like, yes. in a way that was so dramatic, it was actually yes. kind of fun. I was like, I'm watching a movie. And Pete Davidson's head was like bobbing. He's like, 20, 40, 60, 80. He was like, yeah, that's right. It was literally like, he was like, this is dope. Like, it was kind of like he thought the whole thing was dope. Yeah. Like, he's like, fuck yeah. Count that 2K in 20s. That is in my wallet. And when they put the mask on him, oh Oh my God. That was everything. They took off his beanie. Took off his beanie. Put the mask on. His beanie gives him power. So they took off his beanie (laughs) and he was no longer powerful, still hot. And then they put a mask on him and he looked pissed. His hands are behind him and he had the mask on. He wiggled his nose out of the mask. Literally, I was waiting for them to be like, (laughs) we should like pull it up. Like, sorry. Get the mask on over your nose. <laughs> Thankfully, no one was hurt. Just oh, yeah. Saying that. So someone was hit in the car, like an innocent uh, bystander, and he was totally fine. But damn. All that to say, too, this vortex out front. So yeah. Kiki called it yeah. a long time ago. Natalie did, too. Natalie, Miles, Kiki, Robinson all said that right outside of our, our studio, my apartment is is kind of uh, an energy vortex. And actually, the night after that happened, there was another scene when it was super foggy, 10, 10 police cars, fire engines, just right over by the the car wash. Whoa. And it was very odd. I didn't know what was going on. Didn't really see any action, but it's a hot spot. It's, it's definitely a hot spot. It's an I have to pray every night. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> Dang, that's... Mm. Yeah. I mean, Kiki said it. She's like, it is crazy. And I was like, if I was 10 minutes earlier, could have been me. It could have been you. Because I was coming that way and she was coming this way. Yeah. Could have been me. 100%. But it was very... So dramatic. We'll see. I know. I'm sure I'll see them again. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure I'm writing Pete Davidson actually (laughs) in jail. (laughs) But that was I'm going to law school to become his lawyer. My first... I had a boyfriend in ninth grade and that was like my bad boy boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling so purposeful when I helped his mom send him to rehab. Yeah. Do you know 100%. what I mean? 100%. We all have that. Totally. Oh, 
Like mm-hmm. you always want to be the one that like changes them, that yeah. helps them. Never knew he was always on oxys. <laughs> never knew. I literally never knew. But that's how like like naive I was. I really I just thought he was really chill. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> totally. You're like, let's get up and go somewhere. He's like, I need three hours. He's like, I can't feel my legs. He's just so chill. And I was like, this is kind of nice. But yeah, he was always. Yeah, that, I thought that drugs. was like, I was talking Bless. to Justin about that this weekend, that whole concept of like how it was cool to kind of be doing that. And I was like, is that movies or that, is that music that influenced people to think that I don't was cool? Know. Because it is such a thing when you're in a small age range, you kind of think that's cool. But you know, in in certain areas. I don't know if everyone did, but, and then you get older and you're like, dude, you're, you might spend 20 years in jail. I know. But I, you know, when those kids were outside, I was thinking, I'm like, I have so much compassion for them because I'm sure they don't feel like anyone gives a shit about them. I know. You know, when you're in that situation, you're like, damn, no one cares about me. Who cares what yeah. I do? Literally, I don't matter. You know, in, in some cases they feel that way. And I was like, oh, that's such a bummer. Because they, they were, made- it, it was very like, I mean, if that was me, I'd be fucking crying. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what I mean. Where yes, but they were very just like stone faced, con- kind of relaxed in a way. I'm sure they were yes. anxious, but like, they yeah, were that laughing made, that made me sad because mm-hmm. I was like, you're right. Mm-hmm. They probably feel like no one really cares about me. I think anyway, there's a little so shock whatever. moment too. Yeah, that's so true. Of things that you know, you're kind of in shock. Yeah, but I mean, if they were running from the cops in a car, like, don't run. I wonder what the thing was to get seven cops. With guns? I think that, I don't think the police officers are doing a lot right now. Yeah. So I think they just call. But also, you you never know with a with a car chase. Yeah. It could go on for a long time. It could, they could have weapons. Like, it could be yeah. really dangerous. They so. could have a souped up car that's like, yeah. <laughs> this was not like a souped fast up Fast and car. Furious. <laughs> this was literally like They could a, have X Games mode and just go really fast. <laughs> 2009 Honda. Yeah, it was sick. It was sick or <laughs> Yeah, but it was two Hondas that hit each other. I was like, so that, so, I was like, that Honda. You're like, no, I was like, oh, that, no, that no, Honda. The, no, that Honda. It's like two Hondas. <laughs> um, so, yeah, exciting things. I'm excited about membership and I'm excited about this episode with. Silky Face Dave. Silky Face Dave. We forgot to back. tell Dave that we call him Silky Face Dave. I know. But you did to tell his him, face. You did tell him what? What did you tell him? He, you guys, <laughs> this is big wow. <laughs> this is big wow. Sometimes I, need, I think Krista is going to ask the most unbelievable, yes. thoughtful question ever. And sometimes she just says something weird. <laughs> like the other day with when Kiki was leaving, she's like talking about Seattle. I was like, I hate Seattle. And everyone was like, <laughs> she's like, yeah, I live in Seattle. I was like, I hate Seattle. Hey, you're speaking your truth. I, I heard my, I do. I was like, what are you saying? And then with Dave, so Dave's, we're on interview with Dave. Dave's like a trillionaire. And we have a rapport. Like we've interviewed each other. We've interviewed him before. Like we're cool. And he's like sitting there and he's in his little office area that he's in when he, we've interviewed him virtually. We've interviewed him also in person. And it's like red and there's like golds behind it. And it looks like it's before Christmas that where we did this. And it looked like freaking Santa's workshop. Or, totally. And so I literally, he told like a long, intricate scientific <laughs> answer. And I was like, you know what? It looks like behind you, Santa's workshop. <laughs> and he was like, what? He's like, well, I make my coffee back there. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was. He's like, anyway, there's what's like, our time? <laughs> there's like 18 inch diameter gears. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it looked like you guys will, if you guys watch on YouTube, you'll see it looks like Santa's workshop. I am oh, so interesting. Frick. Sometimes I just want to see like what's going to, what's going to happen. Totally. No, I think it was, it was per- perfect. It, it was, keeps Dave on his toes. Mm-hmm. 
I I love Dave. Dave is just he's wild. He's he's wild, and mm-hmm. he, you know I think I don't know. Maybe if I was fucking a trillionaire, six foot six trillionaire, facts, and was gonna live till I was one hundred and eighty, I would say whatever I wanted to. Totally. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty liberating. But in this interview, we talk a lot about fasting. So yeah. this is a conversation and topic we've talked about maybe one other time on the show. We had Lynette on, Lynette Astaire. Mm-hmm. Literally, probably of the first year of the podcast, second year, we talked about fasting. She did fasting for as part of her spiritual journey. But with Dave, we talked a lot about how fasting and intermittent fasting can be really helpful for all areas, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally. But I really wanted to focus on the spiritual aspects of fasting. So that's really a lot of our conversation. And Dave's amazing because he brings a lot of research. He brings a lot of like biohacking and tips. So a lot of this will be really helpful for anyone that wants to dig into or understand fasting a little bit better. Yeah, his new book is out today. It's called Fast This Way, Burn Fat, Heal Inflammation, and Eat Like the High-Performing Human You Were Meant to Be. Um, So you can grab that anywhere books are sold. We also talk about just kind of like how you've been feeling recently. A lot of you, whether it's like anxiety-ridden, fear-ridden, you know, not feeling like yourself in your body. And we just kind of bring that all together. And Dave's so good about, you know, bringing in really hard facts, but also his own experience and just what he's been observing in his community. And really, what they uh, bulletproof labs does a lot of studies as well so we bring that in so get your notebook out and i think you'll really really enjoy this one and again watch on youtube you can see dave's silky face mm-hmm. it's we, all that collagen and fat i mean it his is, skin you guys in person is a wow wowzers we want him to drop that skincare routine now <laughs> so thanks dave for joining us we appreciate you again the book is fast this way you can get it anywhere books are sold uh and anything almost 30 related go to almost30.com you can learn more about our membership enrollment is open now for two weeks we cannot wait to see you in the membership we kick it off in february and i think I think that's it. Yeah, we have two more episodes with Dave. If you want to dig into more Dave Asprey, you can search Dave Asprey Almost 30. And we cannot wait for our new members to just really, you know, do 2021 together in community. We love you so much. Love you. We'll see you on the other side. Bye. Just want to talk a lot about what's been going on this year. And I've really appreciated your content and commentary. I find it to be refreshing and... You know, I just know it takes courage right now to speak any sort of truth. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about just being someone that's been in the health and wellness space for so long. You're so educated and knowledgeable. What has it felt like to come into 2020 and have this situation happen and not feel like you can really say what you want to say? I'd love to talk about just the effect that fear has on the body and mind because there have been points throughout this year where I felt like, are people functioning properly? And how are their bodies doing? You know what I mean? Like where they think they are doing the right thing and protecting themselves by being in fear and, you know, staying away from people in a way that's like, people are dangerous. But I'm like, okay, the fear, the lack of human connection and touch, what is that doing to us physiologically? Well, the first thing that fear does is there's two paths information can enter the brain. If you're not in a state of fear, you process it through the prefrontal cortex that has these seven layers in it. This is your logical, rational you. And if you're in a state of fear, you bypass the prefrontal cortex, you go straight to the amygdala, which is a part of the brain that is commonly associated with reptilian behavior and fear and fight or flight. 
it also though it turns out you can train the amygdala to be more loving as well that's you know an unknown characteristic of the amygdala so first thing is we don't think about stuff we just feel about it and then we believe it's real and when you're in a state of fear it shortens your telomeres which are things that if they're longer you live longer it raises your cortisol and your adrenaline and cortisol and adrenaline are great they're there for short periods to help you run away from tigers or achieve a goal and you need them. However, if they're chronically elevated because there's a looming threat, um, your hormones change, your fertility goes down, um, you stop repairing your tissues, you have higher blood sugar because your body is like, I know I might have to run at any time because there's a looming threat. Mm -hmm. You put any animal in a high stress environment like that, and you see all kinds of physiological negative changes. So with mice, they do something called random adverse events. Uh, something like that. I probably have the, the exact name wrong. But what they do is they're like, okay, just on random times, we're going to shock you. And then they watch what happens, mm. right? And mm. what happens is, is universal. All those things, like, like they, they get fat if they have enough food, um, their physiology breaks. And... When you look at what drives us, um, that human connection is a massively important thing. And maybe the thing that stands out the most is I interviewed on, uh, on Bulletproof Radio, my podcast, uh, Dr. Vivek Murthy. And he's a former US Surgeon General. And he's only written one book. And I interviewed him a week before um, Biden announced that he was going to co-chair their coronavirus task force. And Dr. Murthy's book was about human connection. And he said, of all the epidemics I've seen in the US in my time as Surgeon General, the number one epidemic is a lack of connection. So I'm, I'm kind of heartened because if you have a guy who understands that, who's in a position of leadership about our response, look, nobody wants anyone to die, yet people do die. That's what happens <laughs> if you're alive. <laughs> mm -hmm. So he's like, well... What is the cost of human suffering and death from a lack of connection? And if you factor that in, you can have a rational, measured response that minimizes death, but doesn't prioritize eliminating one death via causing hundreds of thousands of kids to not learn facial recognition and kids to learn to fear other humans and to live their whole life with that programming until they get to be about 30 and they see a therapist and go, oh my God, it's safe to get a hug? God, I wish I'd have known that for 30 years. Like mm -hmm. this is what we're creating and it's not okay. You know, within your family and, and your community, what are you doing or, or how do you engage with people or what's sort of like your protocol for how you're acting in the world today based on that? There are these, these three spiritual states um, that are sought after in, in Buddhism and actually in a lot of spiritual practices. And the first one is, uh, is empathy, the ability to feel someone else's feelings. And we do that with mirror neurons. And that's great. So instead of just feeling your own feelings, like, oh, look, that person's suffering. Like, I, I can feel that. Like, they're afraid. I can feel it. And the second step of spiritual evolution that comes after that is compassion. So instead of just feeling their feelings, you can acknowledge them without taking it in. And you can say, okay, I feel compassion and I like to reduce suffering. And the final and hardest state to get into is called equanimity. And this is where you can be you, you can be calm at peace and in service to others, no matter what is happening in the world around you. Literally the ability to meditate in the middle of a hurricane, right? 
because it's an external thing, right? And you have these clear boundaries and all. So what I'm working to do um, with the content I produce, even with the new book, is to give people a sense of equanimity so that you realize that a lot of the voices in your head are not a reflection of reality. They're a reflection of your nervous system. And you can actually see the world as it is. And you can be you no matter what's happening in the world. And the value of this is you don't have to be like, Bill Gates is behind the whole thing. I know it. Okay, you're still a little bit reactive, my friend. Right? And we you all also go through don't that have phase. to be like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Yes. I have to like put three sponges on my head and I have to wrap myself in trash bags before I can pee. And you're like, what, what are you doing? Both sides of that are, are like tribal and, and very primitive and neither one is very functional. So I'm like, hey, I don't know. Maybe there is a great conspiracy behind this, right? There are some data points to say it might be true, but I don't know, right? And maybe it's much worse than they're letting on. I don't see any data to support that, but I could be wrong. Either way, I'm either going to live or I'm going to die. And either way, I'm going to do what I'm here to do. And if you can be there, man, that's a pretty good place to be. Yeah, yeah. You know, just on the point of you know, taking in information, whether it's from the media or trusted sources or what people deem trusted sources, it's kind of difficult right now. I can go online, I can go on Instagram, I can go wherever. And I'm like, wow, like, what can I trust? What information can I trust? And, you know, to bring in fasting, which I'm excited to talk about, you know, there has been a lot of bad press around fasting, for example. You know, it's like these blanket statements around why it is not safe, healthy, um, or good for you. So just in general, you know, taking in information on health, diet, et cetera, can be kind of confusing for a person. So yeah, I'd love to start start there as far as, you know, health information and how people can start to explore and discern for themselves. Just have that sovereignty to be like, okay, you know, I'm not going to go with what the mass media is saying and or I am, you know, like where they yeah. can kind of begin. Now in my by the time I was in my early 20s, I hit 300 pounds and I had all kinds of health conditions before I was 30. I'd had arthritis in my knees, diagnosed as a teenager, obesity, prediabetes, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, cognitive problems on high risk of stroke and heart attack, all of these on lab tests, right? So at a certain point, I was like, okay, I've had enough of this. I'm going to exercise an hour and a half a day, six days a week, and I'm going to go on a low-fat, low-calorie diet. And at the end of 18 months of doing this, no matter if I was sick, no matter if it was final exams, it didn't matter. I was going to go to the gym because my highest priority was just getting getting healthy, getting strong and and all that. At the end of all of that, I'd love to tell you I grew abs and everything was good. No, I, I still had a 46-inch waist. I was still fat. I was stronger, but I was fat. And at a certain point, I had to sit down and go, you know what? It's not working. So the way you can trust health information is you can say, all right, is what I'm doing working? And you can measure it or you can just be like, I don't really like how I feel most of the time. Something's not right. And if what you're doing isn't working... Whether the information is generally accurate, it doesn't work for you. So then you're going to have to try something else. And then you'll always see the media just completely crap on any new innovation. Always. There are all sorts of newspapers saying, oh, the Wright brothers are these two crazy people. There's no way they're ever going to fly. You know, they're con artists and all this stuff. And they're like, oh, I guess they did it. So I would say, 
if the media is crapping on something, it's probably a good sign that you should look at it, mm. uh, first of all. And second of all, you got to ask yourself, is it really dangerous to skip breakfast every day or every other day, as I recommend in the book, especially for women uh, who are getting started? Is it really dangerous to do that for a month and see what happens? Are you going to die? Are you going to cause permanent harm? And the answer is no. So give it a try, right? You have sovereignty there. The other really simple thing to do, stop using Google. About nine months ago, Google changed the algorithm. You cannot find any useful health information on Google. Facts. So and if you true. go to DuckDuckGo or there's one called Swan something or another, mm-hmm. um, those search engines will give you actually the most relevant content instead of what they want you to see. And they'll show you the same content no matter who you are. Uh, so I'm, you know, I couldn't have written my fasting book if I had to only use Google because none of the references that I have relied on Google for my other books, I couldn't find them anymore. They're buried. Yes. Right. And this is a very dramatic change. They've also reduced traffic to some of the sites with the best information by 99%. So there is, it's not necessarily censorship, but it's, you know, if you're on the 10th page of Google results, you might as well not be there. And they're not looking at merit anymore. They're looking at what do we want people to see and think that's best for our profit. And when you're driven by AI algorithms that drive profit first, well, look what we get. Right. And if you're driven by, you know, big food industry algorithms, I know their algorithm. It's how cheap is it? How tasty is it? And how pretty of a sticker can we put on there? And that's what you sell because that's what makes the most money. And then I come along, I'm like, gee, how you feel after you eat, that's most important. Right. And then how does it taste is second most important because no one likes to eat crap that, that tastes bad for long periods of time. That's why kale is on a decline. And then the, the third thing is, okay, how convenient is it? Because everyone values their time. And then what's the impact on the environment and the world? Because people care about that. And then how much does it cost? Because I just fundamentally believe people spend a little bit more money to buy food that makes them feel full for a long time and that makes them feel full of energy and doesn't, you know, doesn't harm things. And if you, if you look at those metrics, that's actually what people want, but it isn't most profitable. Right. So I'm fortunate I'm running a, or I have someone running a large business that I started. Uh, and I have several other businesses as well, but um, there's, there are enough people out there who are willing to do it. And the more of them there are, the lower the cost of the good stuff gets. So my approach has been changing demand uh, for things like that. And you know, going back to the whole conversation about the you know, pandemic and things like that, it's like, look, what are your values? Like, let's just return to our values, right? Like, let's do what minimizes human suffering across everyone, right? And let's not let, you know, politicians make decisions or just, you know, epidemiologists and just health, they get a vote. They don't get a say, right? And when, you know, someone, the, the when the, the government, and I think of everything as processes and algorithms. The number one thing that governments do, top, top, top thing first is do whatever it takes to stay in power. And everything else after that is secondary. So what's most important now is that you demonstrate you're doing something. It is not important that you demonstrate you're doing something that works. You just have to say it works and show that you took action so you can get reelected. Right? And we're in that kind of a thing. So just shining a light on that behavior, but not you know falling into conspiracy land and not falling into fearland. That's that equanimity state where I'm looking to bring people back to that, whether we're talking about food, whether we're talking about fear, like those are major drivers of consciousness. And that's actually the basis for the book. 
I just need a moment too. It looks like Sienna's workshop in the background because of like the red and the lights. It, you know, or the red lights on. Or just no, like no. the wood, the beautiful wood and the lights. Oh. It literally looks like Sienna's workshop. It's making me so happy. Um, that's where I make coffee. So that, it is. It pretty much Sienna's is. Workshop. I have your next video. A video idea is going to be Sienna's workshop and you can wear a hat. One of the things that we usually talk about is just spirituality and the connection to, to spirit and um, the connection to self. And that's sort of like a somatic felt sense. So not everyone really recognizes, but when you do, you understand. And I've wanted to fast or experiment with fasting mostly for the spiritual, you know, benefits for that spiritual experience. I I love it that you're asking about that. So the the first time I fasted, I recognized I had a couple things going on. And this was actually back in 2008 um, before I published the Bulletproof Diet where intermittent fasting is an integral part of that. I, I first wrote about that in 2011. So I feel like I've been an early voice in this, hey, you can fast, but it doesn't have to hurt kind of movement. But what I realized was two things. One, I was afraid of being alone. I'd done enough personal development work. I'm like, oh, that explains why I'd rather be in a bad relationship (laughs) than than just be like, "Uh, I think I'll be single for a little while till I find someone who's, you know, not as crazy as, you know, whoever it was I was with before. So I was, I was doing the work to figure out like, why had I made lots of bad decisions in my life? And that was a major thing that stood out. And I also realized as a fat person, uh, and see, I'm allowed to say that because I still have stretch marks. And you know, some people are triggered by fat person. Dude, I was fat. I can say whatever I want about myself. And if it's triggering for you, get a therapist. So <laughs> <Love you. laughs> I, uh, I learned two things. One, if you don't eat six or eight meals a day, your body will go into starvation mode. There's that fear word. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then you'll get even fatter. Right? That's just a lie. It's not true. But I believed it. So I had this little program running that I didn't choose to install that was like, oh my God, if I don't eat, I'll die. Now that sounds so ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? To eat six to eight meals a day and your body will go into starvation mode. It seems so absurd. It it is absurd and it's provably false, which is funny, funny, but man, I believed it. And there's another thing that happens. And I think most people who are heavy will understand this. There is such a thing as hypoglybitchy, (laughs) right? And so- if I didn't eat on a regular basis, my brain would turn off and I would start acting like a jerk because I literally didn't have enough electricity in my brain to act like an adult. So then I'd be like reactive and yelling at people and just like super cranky pants, uh, which isn't really the way I want to show up in the world. So I was afraid of acting like a jerk, right? And so I said, all right, I'm going to hire a shaman and she's going to drop me off in a cave in the desert with no people and no food for 10 miles in any direction. And I'll stay there for four days and see what happens. So even if I totally lose my shit, all I can do is yell inside a cave and it'll echo. <laughs> like there's nothing. You did you know, your nothing. own little like vision it. quest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you did it was like, a vision quest. Yeah. yeah. And the whole arc of fast this way is, okay, here's what happens when you do the spiritual side of fasting. Because it's missing from almost all the mm-hmm. fasting dialogues. Like, yeah, you can get abs, you know, and, and all this stuff. Yeah, you'll probably lose weight if you need to lose weight. But more importantly, you'll get mental clarity, which is why fasting has been used for thousands of years in almost every spiritual tradition. Because after about three days of fasting, by the way, uh, I'm at right now 47 hours of fasting. So I haven't eaten in a couple of days. You can tell my brain is totally not working, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. I was wondering. Yeah, I, in fact, I'm in starvation mode right now. I'm probably going to die. That's <laughs> ridiculous. Um, but what, I, what they're doing is, is they're saying, okay, if I go and I fast, when clarity hits, it's about 48 hours in. 
And you can cheat and you can hack a fast. You get clarity during the intermittent fast on the first day if you want to. And that's why Bulletproof is so popular because one of the, the cheats for that is, is in Bulletproof Coffee. Actually, two of the cheats, three of the cheats, two of the cheats. Anyway, the, the idea that, that fasting brings clarity is because the body starts producing ketones. And that's half the clarity. So ketones are these fat-burning bodies you guys have probably talked about before. And ketones feed the neurons. The neurons will eat ketones even if they have blood sugar present because they're such power-hungry things. And what I find fascinating when you look at the biology is that the heart and the brain, those cells have about 15,000 of these little environmental sensors, power plant factories that are, that are mitochondria. And the rest of our cells have, oh, somewhere around a few hundred to a couple thousand. So these are the power hogs of the body, except if you're a woman. And women in your ovaries, you have 100,000 mitochondria per cell, which has all sorts of interesting implications if you get into that. But what you find is that, okay, the most power-hungry parts of the body just need to burn stuff that has higher octane, that has more energy. And when you do that, that's where clarity comes from halfway. The other half of the clarity comes from this crazy idea, which is the first chapter of my first big book. It's like, hey, food has toxins in it. And talking about ridiculous belief systems, man, if I gave you a bowl of cyanide and then I put some fiber in it and I was like, you should eat this, it's high in fiber, you'd probably tell me to go F myself, right? Uh, I would hope so. Yes, but yes. This is <laughs> we the would, state yes. <laughs> good. Um, this is the state of most nutritional, like, oh, eat this. It's packed with X. Yeah. And no, it's not packed. It has trace amounts of it, but you didn't look at the downside. And with everything you do, you look at what's the good and what's the bad and you measure it. And it turns out, if you want clarity, don't eat these major five classes of food toxins. We can survive on all, on all sorts of crap, but it doesn't mean that we run best on that stuff. And it turns out all of these things, in, at least in most people, will cause cravings. And there's a big difference between a hunger and a craving. I didn't know there was a difference. I never felt hungry because I only had cravings. And when I realized this and I started to eat different foods that didn't trigger cravings, I'm like, oh, hunger is the sense that, you know what? I probably should eat in the next couple hours. Like I'm getting, I'm getting hungry, but if I don't, I'll be all right. And cravings are like, if I don't eat in the next 10 minutes, someone's going to die and I'll eat their corpse, <laughs> right? That's the difference, right? We don't, we don't have to feel that, but most people, because of what they eat, are in a constant state of craving. And... I teach people in fast this way, like here's the food choices that are probably making it very hard for you to fast. And then I teach people, here's what to do, especially when you start fasting, uh, in order to not experience the pain of it. Because if you're interested in spiritual fasting, it's a major part of the book. But before you can get there, you might want to learn how to do fasting for your metabolism, for your gut, for your aging process, so you have more energy. Because if you want to be in a spiritual state, wouldn't it be nice if you had a lot more energy first? So when you go there, you can actually do the spiritual work. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why intermittent fasting is such a powerful thing because it trains your cells in a very simple way. It's like weightlifting for your, your mitochondria. It's like, here's the deal. You eat a bunch of, of times every day, you snack. And they're like, there's always food around. I don't have to be particularly good at turning air and food into energy. I just have to be average or even below average. It doesn't matter. And the body's lazy. It doesn't want to make fresh, young, new cells. That's a lot of work, right? 
And never underestimate your biological drive to conserve energy. It gets a fundamental part of life. So if instead you go, hey, body, every now and then there's no food, it's like, oh my God, that might happen again. Therefore, I'm going to take all my cells that do a weak job of turning air and food into energy and I'm going to kick them out. I'm going to kill them and I'm going to make fresh young ones to replace them. Mm. And when you do that on a regular basis, oh, wow, you didn't get type 2 diabetes the way most people do now. Oh, uh, you reversed your type 2 diabetes. Your brain works better. Your skin looks better. You have more energy. And you have more energy even when you do eat because your body's better at turning 30 pounds of air and however much food you eat into electrons. And they're the same electrons that power your phone. I mean, we're, we're driven by electricity. The cell turnover is important, but I think the standard belief is that if you're not eating, that you will, your body will hold on to fat because it doesn't know when the next time that you're not eating was. So with fasting, have you heard that belief that it's like you'll hold on to fat cells because your body will never know when it's not going to be fed again? I've heard that belief, but people have also lost a million pounds plus on the Bulletproof diet. So I'm going to call bullshit on it. <laughs> I agree. I heard it, it in a while. <laughs> it's pretty obvious what happens because you can stick a little, a little tiny prick on your finger and measure your blood ketones. And when your blood ketones go up, it's because your body's burning fat for energy. And we are wired to do that. And the first thing we'll do, and I talk about this in the book, like the stages of fasting, you, you go through and you say, okay, I don't have any food coming in. First, I'll use my, my store of sugar, which is called glycogen. And this is why any low-carb diet will make you lose five to seven pounds in the first week. Because for every gram of this sugar that you store in your body, you also store two grams of water. And this is why anytime you see someone on the cover of a magazine with their shirt off, then what they've done is they've usually depleted their glycogen. And then they also took some drugs to drop extra water in the body. It's like, look, I look lean and shredded. Look at my abs. And like, yeah, you can look like that for approximately 24 hours and you feel like crap the whole time. And I've you know, coached enough movie stars on you know the shirts off scene to know exactly what they're doing, and uh, so this this is the first step: burn all the carbs. And then the body goes, "Oh my god, I got nothing. Maybe I could burn a little bit of muscle." And it'll do that by secreting cortisol and adrenaline, um, which is one of the reasons fasting makes you feel good because those hormones, even though they're bad hormones for whatever reason, they're not. They're necessary. You want them to be not too low, not too high. They're Goldilocks hormones. Uh, and then after that, it goes, oh, that's not very sustainable. I guess I'll have to go to the work of changing the configuration of my power plants to take fat. And then it starts melting fat. And it won't hold on to the fat. The function of fat is to feed you when there's no food. So the idea that you're going to somehow hold on to it right when you need it. And one of the mechanisms that is, I don't think anyone's ever written about it except for me, is called FIOF, fasting-induced adipose factor. And this is something the liver makes. And it means that, oh, when you're fasting, the liver secretes it and causes you to burn more fat. But when you eat, it secretes it, uh, or it, it lowers levels of it, and then you store more fat. Except your gut bacteria, because they're little bastards and they think you're a Petri dish that they get to control, they will make extra amounts of FIOF. So when you fast, your gut bacteria actually can make you lose weight faster. But then when you eat carbs again, they're like, I don't want my Petri dish to run out of energy. Let me tell the body to store extra fat, store extra fat. So they have a little thermostat where they're trying to run you instead of letting you run you. Mm. Um, that said, you need good bacteria in your gut. Uh, it's very important. 
but this is one of those things where I teach people, here's how to keep the gut bacteria happy during a fast. And there's a way to do that. Uh, so uh, the first notion that I teach in the book is that fasting just means going without. And if you're on a keto diet, you're going without carbs. You're fasting from carbs. If you're on a vegan diet, um, you're on your way to getting sick, but you're also... <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I try not to be you know, too transparent about my beliefs there. But yeah, we're long gone. <laughs> I was a raw vegan for a long time. I, I got sick on it. So did so many people who recover when they start eating the right fats again. But you know, you're just kind of fasting for animals. You're like, I'm not going to drink. You're fasting from alcohol. And so fasting doesn't mean only having water. And there's a few people out there who are strident, kind of like the angry keto bros. Like, if you eat one more carb again, you're a bad person. Or you know, the angry vegan, like, oh my God, that honey, a bee touched it. You can't eat it. And you know, like a bee touched the plant you ate too. They pollinated it. That almond isn't that vegan either. <laughs> but you, know, you don't have to really apply logic when you're using emotion to eat. And there's going without, going without sex or ejaculation. I talk about that in the book. And there's going without social media. And probably more, the most important part in the book is at the end where I talk about, here's a spiritual fast where you choose to feel the pain. And the challenge at the end of this is to do a four-hour fast from hate. And that means go four hours without thinking one bad thought about another person or thing. Mm. It is way harder than you think. And you'll catch yourself, oh my God, I can't believe I'm thinking that. In fact, for most people, it's, it's very difficult to do that. And that, that's a, a very big tool uh, for uh, for self development, and what I'm doing for this book uh, for the first time is, I mean, it, it takes thousands of hours to write a book. It, it's actually like a very terrible way to make money because on an hourly basis, uh, I think I probably could be making um, shots of espresso in my coffee shop <laughs> and probably get paid more. <laughs> um, but so books are like a, a passion thing. Yeah, and. I realized I've been a teacher for, for five years at the University of California. I love teaching. So I'm actually teaching the book. Uh, and anyone who buys the book, I'm, they get in for free. But I'm doing a two-week fasting challenge and mm -hmm. training where I show you, here's how to fast when you have a job or you have kids and you have a life. And you, just, you don't want to be tired and hangry and hypoglybitchy, but you still want the benefits. There's ways to do that. And then the final days at the end of the two-week, whether it's 24 or 48 hours, I'm taking people on a spiritual fast where... We actually do the meditation, do the, the personal development work that can come with fasting, but doesn't have to come with it. And I want to bring fasting and spirituality back together. Mm -hmm. And I want to remove the annoying pain of fasting, the hunger of fasting, for when people don't want to experience that. And when you do that for a while, your cells get so good at managing their energy that you probably don't need the fasting hacks. But if you want to painlessly enter this ability to fast, You've got to know, how do I do without pain? And also, how do I know that I didn't overdo it? Because there's something that I call the trap. And there is a keto trap, there is a vegan trap, and there is a fasting trap. And they all involve basic human behavior. Mm. The, the trap looks like this. And I'll tell you about the vegan trap that I fell into first when I was raw vegan. Okay, you go vegan. Now, you've stopped eating a lot of stuff that's bad for you when you do that, unless you're like a Coke and Doritos kind of vegan, but there aren't that many of those. <laughs> so you're doing your best. You're, you're, you know, you're watching your food and all this stuff and you feel better because of the lack of crap. And then because you stopped eating the kind of fat that you're made out of, your body slowly starts putting the wrong fats into your cells, into the cell membranes, which are made of fat. 
And your body goes, I can't make as much energy anymore. This is scary. And it turns up your thyroid function, which is like thermostat. So like, yeah, I got all this energy. Like go vegan, right? And then after about six weeks, eight weeks, depending on your age, depending on your general health, depending on what you ate before, um, and it hits women before it hits men usually, you're like, hmm, I'm not feeling as good as I was before. So clearly the problem isn't the vegan diet because I already proved to, to myself that it works and I love how I felt on it. Therefore, I'm not vegan enough, right? And so you start like playing around, you know, maybe I shouldn't do this, maybe I need to do that, right? And then, okay, there's that. Or you go to one of the low carb conferences in the early days of keto, the Atkins diet and things like that. And there's a bunch of 300 pound people walking around and you're like, this doesn't look like it works. And like, oh no, I used to weigh 500 pounds, but I've hit this plateau for the past year. So I've decided that since I know keto works, uh, I'm just going to only eat 12 grams of carbs a day instead of 15 grams. And then I'll break my plateau. And I've been stuck for a year, but I'm just trying to eat even less carbs. Okay, this was me for a while. I lost 50 pounds going keto in like 1998. The other 50 pounds took 10 years and a lot of work understanding biology to get through. And now with fasting, I feel amazing. I can't believe it. I'm not hungry. I love my brain. I love my life. I had to buy smaller pants. And then what do you know? The same thing happens because you're doing it too much. And this is why my recommendations have always been cyclical keto. Don't eat stuff that's inflammatory and gives you cravings. And this is why with fasting, I see fasting emerging as a trend that is going to stick around for a while. And we, I guarantee you that unless we get awareness of how much should you fast, we're going to see a bunch of people saying, I had all these bad things happen to me. Therefore, I'm going to go back to eight meals a day. Because over time, our health information does this big sine wave mm -hmm. where something's cool, something's not cool, but the truth is in the middle. So for women, the first sign, and there's a whole chapter just for women in Fast This Way, because there's less literature on women, but we do know a lot about it. The first thing is, um, you're like, oh, my sleep quality went down, usually at about four weeks of over fasting. And like, I wake up, I just don't feel rested. And if you measure your sleep with the ring or something, you find a reduction in deep sleep, mm. uh, a reduction in total sleep and less dreams. And you're like, huh, this isn't normal. And then you start saying, hmm, my cycle isn't as regular as it was. And then you start saying, hmm, my hair's getting thin. Right? And well, what you did is you overfasted. You fell into the fasting trap. And for men, it's a little bit different because it takes another two to four weeks uh, for a variety of reasons I put in the book. And for guys, first thing is sleep quality goes away. Second thing is they wake up without a kickstand. And <laughs> the third thing is um, their hair gets thin as well. So we want to avoid that. And if you're going to fast, even just intermittent fasting, you don't have to do it every day. And if you have a lot of weight to lose um, or you're a woman whose health isn't just robust you might want to just do it every other day or you might want to use some of the fasting hacks so that you maintain your energy and you just, you're kind to yourself. Mm. Right? Mm. And then I, I just, it drives me nuts. I see so many people, oh my God, fasting is so good. I'm doing it every day for the rest of my life. And then pretty soon like, I'm going to do OMAD, which is a really sexy mm -hmm. kind of Darth Vader-ish way of saying, I'm going to go 24 hours without eating. I'm just going to do one meal a day, which is what it stands for. But it sounds like kind of sex, like, yeah, I'm OMAD. <laughs> and, <laughs> I think I've seen um, T-shirts. Who is it? Jack Jack Dorsey does OMAD. I think. Yeah, he does. Um, yeah, he does a lot. <laughs> we, of we tweeted about bulletproof coffee like like ten years ago, and I love it because he's finding what works for him, but he measures the crap out of his body. Yeah, mm, right. He freaks me out. And so you know, he's he's you know probably measures as much as I do, and um, you can tell if it works or not. But 
one of the things you're doing whenever you change your diet, whenever you you do anything like that, you're changing your consciousness too. And self-awareness is always a challenge for all of us. And data is one thing to do, right? And then if everyone around you is like, you're looking a little thin, they're probably lying. Because anytime someone loses a bunch of weight, the people who care about them, we have mirror neurons that match other people, which is one reason if someone's afraid, you're likely to catch it. But they're like, I don't like to see people starving. Because when people are starving and losing weight, that's a sign of like, maybe they're sick or something. So then they tell you, because they care about you, because they're feeling your pain that you might not even be feeling. You're like celebrating, yay. And like, oh, you're losing weight too fast. You're not, you know, you're not looking the way I'm used to looking. And they don't mean to sabotage. They mean to help you, but they are a resist force and you just have to tune that out. But then once you learn to tune it out, when you really do like overdo it and like, you're kind of looking a little skinny there and like, you know, your behavior has changed and are you aware of this? And you've already learned to tune it out. And this is a really difficult thing to deal with. And the point here is not to support or encourage anorexia because it's exactly the same thing, right? Where you know, you're not going to listen to people. They're saying you're too skinny and you're like, no, I'm not. I'm still too fat. And, and you get caught in these loops or orthorexia, which is a, another thing. And you can apply orthorexia to fasting. And orthorexia is just this idea that it's a fear of not eating the right food, right? <laughs> and you could say, I only eat stuff that's compatible with me because I like to feel good all the time. And that's a healthy perspective. And if you're like, I can't eat that because it might be bad, that's an unhealthy perspective. And it's, it's a nuance, but it really matters. Mm. You mentioned the the fasting hacks. I, not to be a teacher's pet, but I have my bulletproof every other day and I fast about like 16 hours. And for me, that's like a hack because I, without that, I would not, for me, just feel good um, yeah. getting through those 16 hours, but would love to just touch on a few few hacks for fasting. Okay. So when I say a hack for fasting... I'm talking specifically something that removes the pain of fasting and allows you to still get the benefits. And I kind of made fun of the you know water-only fasting people. Every spiritual tradition has always at least had tea during a fast mm-hmm. and oftentimes a few other things. And just because the mice had only water, there's no reason for humans to only do water-only fasting. It doesn't work as well. So the first hack to make a fast easier and more effective is good old-fashioned black coffee. And the reason for that, and by the way, I would suggest ones without mold toxins, which is the stuff that I make, but hey, you know, we all do whatever we do. Mm-hmm. And the reason this works is that the amount of caffeine in two small cups of coffee doubles ketone production. And you want ketones because a very low level of ketones, far lower than when you're you know, full on keto or you've been fasting for a couple of days, it's enough to change these two hormones that drive your hunger. And one of them is called ghrelin. It's the hunger hormone. And a level of 0.5 on a finger stick for ketones, which is half of when you've officially entered ketosis, is enough to turn off ghrelin. So, oh, look, my hunger hormone's gone. Now, you know, the, the croissant sitting there loses its power over me. But the second hormone that matters is called CCK. And I remember that because I know Calvin Klein made it. <laughs> and it's hard to say. It's cholecystokinin is what it's called. And this is a hormone that makes you feel full. So a small bump in ketones equals I feel full and I don't feel hungry because those are different things. And now all the willpower you used to apply to your fast, you don't need willpower anymore because you're not hungry. So you don't have to catch the hunger and you don't have to reject it. Now, I found a study in Fast This Way that blew me away. 
the average person spends 15% or more of their thoughts every day about what's for their next meal. Now, if you use the fasting hacks and you turn off your hunger, you get 15% of your thoughts back because they're not about food anymore. And that is a profound thing. You want to talk about spiritual fasting? Spend 15% of your thoughts you used to waste on food thinking about being a better person, right? It's that big of a deal. The second fasting hack is what I'm very well known for, and I'm not here to sell Bulletproof Coffee. I've sold a lot of Bulletproof Coffee. But I'm going to talk about a new mechanism um, that is it's actually really interesting. So Bulletproof Coffee is black, mold-free coffee blended with some MCT oil. There's different kinds of MCT. It's got to be the C8 for a reason I'm going to share. And you blend it with a little bit of grass-fed butter. And there's lots of people who are like, oh, here's my recipe and I put, pour a bunch of other crap in there. May work, may not work. Um, probably won't if it's got any protein in it or other kinds of fats. But you do that, you blend it and you drink it. And the idea for this came to me in, when I was in Mount Kailash in a remote part of Western Tibet at 18,000 feet elevation. And I see these little Tibetan people. I say little because I'm giant and they're all pretty, pretty short. And lady gives me a bowl of yak butter tea. I'm like, I feel so much better than I have in a long time. It doesn't make any sense. But even without a blender, they would manually blend it for like 10 minutes. And it drove me nuts. Like, why do you have to blend it? Why can't I eat a stick of butter and drink a cup of coffee? And the reason I finally discovered it is I donated a bunch of money to the University of Washington and said, can you guys look at water chemistry? And they did. And the guy's name is Gerald Pollock. He just turned 80. I love learning from people with a lot more experience than me. And he's discovered this type of water that isn't well known. It's, it's different, visc- uh, different viscosity. So it's a little bit thicker than normal water. And this is what happens when you put water next to fat. The, just the edge of the water, you can see it on a microscope. So this isn't like magic fairy crystal water. This is visible changes to water. And he measured what happens to water when it's near droplets of butter fat and MCT oil and other fats. And he says that the largest exclusion zone of the highest amount of this water he's seen is in tiny droplets of fat. So what you do when you drink a glass of water is your body says, oh, great water. And it distributes the water so it's near your cell membranes, which are tiny droplets of fat. And then it applies 1200 nanometer light. That's called body heat. And uh, (laughs) what that does, it transforms the water into the water that you use to make energy, to fold proteins, to clean up your cells for every biological process. Well, when you're fasting, you don't want to use energy to heat stuff up. So when you blend your Bulletproof coffee, it doesn't have to have tons of butter, just tiny bits will do it. When you blend it for a while there, you're drinking water that the body can use right away to burn fat versus having to go through this thing that makes you cold when you're fasting. Mm. And this is cool. And the MCT oil that you put in there, at least if you're using the C8 form that I've put on the market before this research came out, because I could feel a difference from it. Research from UC San Diego shows that that one form of MCT oil quadruples ketone production. And this is why when you're doing your 16-hour fast in the morning, like I had coffee, double my ketone production. I was already fasting after dinner, and then I slept. And then you boosted ketones with coffee and caffeine, then you boosted ketones with MCT oil, and you give yourself water that's been modified so your body can use it right away. And then you feel like yourself. And if instead you're like, I'm just going to have a glass of water without even any salt, because that would not be just plain water, then you're not going to have the same morning. Like, like it's actually much harder on you biologically. And 
it's okay to do that if you feel great and it's what works. But most people who have a job and a life and want their brain to work at 11 o'clock in the afternoon, especially when they're getting going, they don't do well on just water. And it's, it's actually like wearing a hair shirt. You guys know what a hair shirt is? Mm-mm. No. So there are these sects of monks and they're like, I'm such a sinner that I need to make a shirt out of human hair so it's super itchy. And I'm going to wear it all the time to remind myself through my suffering what a sinner I am. And then they like whip themselves on their back. They self-flagellate. Not joking. Wow. You can't make this up. Wow. Water only fasting is a form of self-flagellation in hair shirts. (laughs) That's what I was thinking with the fasting. I was like, I think with the, I was wondering what you thought about this with spiritual fasting. It's almost like part of the process is the discomfort. So I'm curious about, can you still have the spiritual benefits if you're removing part of the spiritual process, which is overcoming the ego part of you that has an attachment towards humanly pleasures? You you nailed it. During a spiritual fast, I think it's very advisable to have coffee or tea because almost all spiritual fasts involve tea and sometimes lemon juice and whatever else from whatever tradition you're from. Um, certainly, you should at least have some sea salt or Himalayan salt uh, to keep your electrolytes where they need to be. Otherwise, it can be actually dangerous. And yeah, when you're on a spiritual fast, you actually want to feel the discomfort and be like, oh, the message my body is telling me is that I'm going to die. Right? And it's hijacking my brain right now and it's making me think about food. But let, let me ask myself this. How long would it take me to starve to death? And for most people, three months, maybe two months. You got a lot of time. Uh, By the way, you'll die from lack of sleep long before you'll die from lack of food. But your body is like so focused on food, food, food. And you realize, oh, that's kind of ridiculous. Like what other ridiculous things is my body telling me? And let me walk you through the, the, the reason that fasting is such a trigger for people. And it involves the algorithm of life. Every life form no matter uh, what it is, starting with bacteria, it doesn't matter if you're a cactus or you know an elephant or a human um, or a plant. Step number one, run away from, kill or hide from scary things. And you do that with 10 times more energy and attention than necessary. Because we're talking about things that don't have a brain. A bacteria doesn't have room for a brain. It only has very basic rules it can follow. And those rules have been honed over the last 2 billion years to make the species survive. So you know, a bacteria is going to make toxins or have a defense system and the cactus has spines, you know, the elephant has tusks and humans have brains and, you know, we all have our defense systems and sometimes we run, sometimes we fight, Uh, but this is built in and you have to do it first or the species will die. Because remember, our brains know that's not true, but your cells don't know that. The bacteria that run your body, the mitochondria, they don't know that because they're dumb, they're little bacteria. In mass, a quadrillion of them making decisions is actually pretty smart, but each one by itself, meh, I don't know. And the second thing that all life has to do is eat everything. Because famines kill most animals and most things over time. If you look back over the last you know, 100,000 years, how many humans mm-hmm. have died in famines? Well, quite a lot. So we're all really afraid of that. And that means you pay five times more attention to food than it deserves when there's enough food. Because you know there's enough food, but your cells don't know. And that's why... You just look at the cookie all day long until you eat it, right? The third, okay, so we have fear and we have mm-hmm. food. What else does all life have to do to make sure it stays around on the planet? Have sex. Well, it's an F word though. Fuck. They're, they're F. Fuck. I was thinking fertility. Fun? My God. Fun? 
Okay, you know why? You. Because you've been having so many videos about <laughs> like erectile just like dicks. I'm just like, I thought you were going to go we're there. We're going to your level, Dave. Yes. I, I actually was going there, but I was just yes. finding F words that were more polite than the one you chose. Fun. So yeah, you, you nailed family it. Family fun. There you go. Family fun. Oh, family creating fun. There you go. So this is the third F word. And we put three times more attention into that F word than it actually deserves. Because in your body, you're like, if the species doesn't reproduce, it's the end of the world. Right. And this is why you've gone on dates. You're like, that guy is so hot. I just have to have him. And you're like, I know this is not good for me, but I'm going to do it anyway. Right. And, you know, this is why guys are like, no, I'm not going to come. Oops. Because right about five seconds before you come, you're like, you're convinced fully by your body. If I don't ejaculate right now, it is the end of the world and is the most important thing on earth. And I know I didn't want to, but too late. Right. That's not ideal, everyone. It's just how it is. So those three F words in order drive all life. Mm. And uh, it's no wonder that people get stuck on fasting, people get stuck on fear because those are higher. And fortunately, and probably the, the saving grace is that there's a fourth F word, which is friend. And every life form cooperates with others. And this is why we have kombucha and yogurt when we're talking about bacteria. And this is why we have forests and we have herds. And this is why humans form tribes. And this is why we support each other. So I'm arguing in this book that we're actually wired to be kind to each other. It's very hard to be kind to each other when you're hungry, when there's no love in your life, and when you're afraid. And so our job is to... Well, the easiest one, get rid of hunger because I know the foods that get rid of hunger. Like you just do it right during a fast and you're like, oh, there, my hunger's gone. And even if you're not really fasting, you just turn off hunger. You get all that energy back. And like, okay, like, do I want to take that energy and use it to get love in my life in a healthy way? Or do I want to use it to deal with this big looming 10x F word fear? And that's what personal development is all about. So when you're fasting, you go through a period of fear of starvation and you're pushing your, just like I did in the cave, just like I write about in the book, you're pushing you know, your, your buttons about that. But like, okay, I'm going to overcome that. right? And you realize some of those buttons are actual hunger and some of those are actually fear. right? And then you're done and you get a boost in energy because your ketones go up. And then you look around and you're like, oh, I guess I'll work on fear because I've got nothing else to work on right now because I'm fasting in a spiritual way. And you're going to break out your journal, you're going to meditate, and you're going to realize how much bullshit your mind tells you all the time. And the process of growing up and evolving using like the Ericksonian stages of adult development is over time, you just realize how much suffering you're making in your own life because of these basic things that come from inside your cells. And when you do enough of the work, like the kind of neurofeedback work I do or advanced meditation in Tibet or you know plant medicine in South America, and I've done all those over the course of my evolution you come to this conclusion that, well, there's a separate consciousness inside of you that comes from those cells. And it's most commonly known as the ego. But everything you've ever been ashamed of is those first three F words. Mm -hmm. Can you think of anything you've ever done that isn't one of those three that that you wish you hadn't done? What is it? Food? Fucking? Fear of food and fucking. Fear of food and fucking. Yes. Yeah, I mean, so many of them go back to fear. Yes. 
Yeah, for sure. Every mistake you procrastinated, you didn't ask for the job, you didn't ask the person out, Mm -hmm. you know, you ate the whole bag of chips. Every one of those was a bacterial derived behavior that is not your conscious brain doing it. Mm -hmm. It was your body convincing your conscious brain that it was a good thing to do and you believed it. Mm -hmm. And that's what you do when you do the spiritual work is you're saying, all right, I'm going to feel the feelings. I'm going to just check whether they're real. The feelings are real. The story behind them is complete BS. And that's the process of evolving as a human being. That's where the spiritual work comes from. And the more that you do, the more you start having transcendent experiences, Mm. which can happen during a fast. In fact, there's a chapter in Fast This Way about spiritual fasting in particular and looking at it through the lens of history and different spiritual practices. It's in all spiritual practices. Because some advanced states really only happen either with ketones or with fasting. And traditionally, the only way you could get ketones was fasting. They didn't have the keto diet you know, 2,000 years ago. <laughs> so they just say, don't eat for a few days. And you get into the special state. And then if you do these other breathing practices or whatever, you can enter samadhi, a state where you're at one with the universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you can actually enter those states using things like MCT oil or coffee that raise your ketone levels. And this is stuff that I do at my neuroscience company. It's called 40 Years of Zen. It's like, can you combine decades of Zen meditation into five really intense days? Yes. Can you do it without ketones present in the body from MCT oil? Almost certainly not, but a few people can. Next year, that's our goal to come to 40 Years of Zen. Yep. Oh, we'll I would there, love Dave. to have you guys there. We would It'll... love that. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. gonna, we're gonna come. We're gonna yeah. make it our goal because we were talking to someone on the pod the other day and they were raving about it. They actually said oh. it was like the most profound. Oh, who thing. was it? Oh, Wade Lightheart. Do you know Wade Lightheart? Oh, cool, Wade. Yeah, I know Wade. Yeah, he's, very well. he's like it was the greatest money that we've spent for me and the team. I would recommend it a hundred times over. Blah, blah blah. He was raving about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, he's such a nice guy. Yeah, and uh, it's it's transformed me. I mean, I've spent four months with electrodes glued to my head over the last ten years. <laughs> doing deep work. That's the biggest Dave comment I've ever heard. I'm obsessed with that. I'm just like, I'm lazy. No, you're not. It's meant to replace an hour a day of meditation. And sometimes I don't have an hour a day. I have like two young kids and Mm -hmm. I have a wife and I have multiple companies and I write a New York Times book every 18 months and this giant podcast. And like meditation is important, but if I could meditate faster, like hurry, meditate faster, I'm all over that. And that makes like traditional meditators very angry. I'm like, well, you can keep doing your water fast and you can keep doing the slow meditation, but I'm going to do a fast that doesn't make me hungry and gives me the benefits. And I'm going to use all that extra energy to do something good, mm. right? Mm. And then I'm going to meditate the least possible to become fully enlightened in one lifetime. Mm. That's the goal. Um, last question for me. It's about this, just more so when people are fasting or if they're doing fasting your way or if they're doing fasting, you know, the spiritual way without anything but tea. A lot of people have a hard time getting over their food as more of like the comfort and it's more of the emotional relationship people have with food. What do you suggest for people when that's really their issue rather than like actual cravings or anything else? The big suggestion in the book after a lot of thought about this is choose the goal of the fast. And if your goal is personal development, you got to go in and feel the feelings. But you don't have to always do that. Because if the goal of the fast was to have your metabolism and your brain work well today, so you could do other things, that's okay. And then the hacks really help. And if instead you're saying, okay, my goal is to deal with my emotional eating. You can do what I did, you know, just lock yourself in a cave for a while. Um, But you might not have to do that. And then the most important thing is to 
actually sit there and instead of thinking about it, you feel about it. And you mm. actually like scan your body. So you're sitting there like, oh, okay, um, I just found myself reaching for you know candy or whatever. It's entirely possible you have hypoglycemia. You have a biological reason for craving that food. Your gut bacteria making extra toxins, there's stuff going on. And separately or at the same time, you may also have an emotional thing like, oh, I'm feeling lonely. So as you notice yourself reaching for whatever it is or just having thoughts about it, then you look in your body and you're like, do you feel something here in your head? Do you feel something in, in your chest, in your gut? Where is it? And by looking for the physical sensation first and then saying, uh -huh, what's the name for that feeling? Right? Oh, it's in my gut. Hmm. Is it fear? Is it loneliness? And then right away, like, what else am I thinking about? And if you're thinking about your mom, hmm, <laughs> like, who gave you food when you were young? Like, a lot of our emotional cravings come from that, right? So, when you were feeling a lot of stress, you probably got a boob. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's so weird. I've always said that. I'm always like, I feel like people, women crave sugar more. Like when you talk about salty versus sweet, women yep. crave sugar more. And I think it has something to do with the mother because isn't like breast milk most likely just like a sugar mm. substance. So I've thought about that before. But breast but milk is interesting because mm. it has um, has a lot of fat. Mm. In fact, it's 17 or up to 17%, that one kind of MCT oil I recommend. Whoa. It's also got sugar in the form of lactose and it's got protein, but it's more the emotional connection, right? So sometimes that's where it is. You know, your mom was like, you bit my nipple 16,000 times today, like enough already, right? <laughs> Every mom has said that. Um, and if they say it in the wrong way, because hey, moms are people too, right? Um, that can leave a little mark, right? And there's mm. nothing that says, you know, you've been a, a bad, you know, a bad mom or anything like that. That's not what it's about. It, it's that Every child is like, at a certain point, it's like you, you finish nursing. And, and it can be that. Or it can be every time you were upset, your mom stuffed M&Ms in your face. M&Ms equal love, right? And it's, it's okay, right? And your mom did that because she knew it made you stop crying, right? And, and that sort of stuff totally happens. And I'm not blaming moms. There's dads and there's friends and there's teachers and there's societal messages and all that. But just being aware that those feelings came from somewhere and it's okay that they're there, but just questioning whether they're true. Mm -hmm. Last question from, from me, I would love to just touch on the benefits for sleep because I feel like this year, especially we've had more time at home while our sleep might be disrupted by stress. I do feel like we've had more time to rest in general. So I would love to just touch on the benefits of fasting for your sleep. There's a chapter in Fast This Way where I talk about how to combine light and fasting to change your sleep window. Mm. And for me, since I was about 10, my preferred bedtime has been 2 a.m., 2.04 a.m. actually. I've been tracking my sleep for like 15 years now because I'm a geek. And <laughs> I've become very good at sleeping as a result of actually seeing the data. It's, it's interesting. About 15% of us are wired to stay up late at night. 15% of us are wired to wake up early. And this is because when we lived in tribes on the savanna, you needed the night shift to protect against predators. You needed the morning shift. 15% of people never sleep well. They're the backup alarm system people. And the rest of people just like wake up in the morning and do their stuff and go to bed at night. So it's inconvenient to go to bed at two. Uh, so if you combine the timing of your, your fast and light exposure, you can do what I did. I go to bed at 10.30 every night now, naturally, without having to force myself to do it. 
which is the first time ever I've been able to do it. And it's because light is the strongest signal for circadian timing and food is the second strongest signal. And what I would encourage everyone listening to do, even if you're never going to fast, don't eat after it gets dark. The longer you have between dinner and bedtime, the better you're going to sleep. And if you do that, and then you're waking up at like three or four in the morning with racing thoughts, the trick is right before bed, you can either have some MCT oil or a little bit, like a teaspoon or two of raw honey. Don't put it in hot water. It's not raw anymore. And sometimes you need to stabilize your blood sugars. If you wake up with racing thoughts around that time frame, it's usually because you had hypoglycemia at night and your brain's like, I need blood sugar so I can do my brain cleaning. Here, let me squirt some adrenaline out. And you wake up with racing thoughts from the adrenaline and the cortisol. Mm. And so you hack that with those two things. And that's all in the book as well. Mm. So good, Dave. Thank you so much. It's always yeah, this was amazing. A pleasure to see you and chat with you, especially during a time like this. Yeah. This conversation is very comforting to me. And- I'm sad I'm not there with you guys because that's how it should be right now. And we're going to go back to normal. This is not the new normal. This is just a bizarre time. So don't fall in that trap either. Um, So we'll go back to seeing our friends and seeing people when we want to and being totally safe around them the way we have been for only a million years. Yeah, plus. Amen. And we'll be at 40 years of Zen. That's our 2021 goal. Yeah. Oh, uh, I would love to have you there. We're opening a new one up here in uh, Victoria, British Columbia, beautiful. where it'll be right under my office and next to the studios. Oh, so, beautiful. That's okay. amazing. Uh, that would require being able to cross the border, but we'll fix that soon we can, as well. We'll we can figure come that to out. The one in Seattle, <laughs> come to the one there. And I would just encourage anyone listening to this, um, you've got to go to fastthisway.com. Send me your pre-order receipt and I'll spend two weeks like live Q&As just like this. Community, that fourth F word friend, a community of people also experimenting with fasting. Some for the first time, some experienced. Finally, a one or two day spiritual fast where I'll teach you some of the stuff I taught today. And I'm doing that for free just because I want people to do this. I don't want fasting to go into this. Everyone over fasted and we forgot about it. Love that. Yes, sustainability. That's amazing. And our Thank show notes you. will have everything too. And yeah, we have the book and it's incredible, especially the chapter on women. I felt like it was just so necessary and important. And yeah, grateful to have you. Happy holidays. You know, have such a good one. And it was just, again, we're really grateful to see you again. Thank you. I'm happy to see you guys again too next time in person. Next time in person. All right. Talk to you later, Dave. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Dave. Dave Asprey in the building with his new book, Fast This Way. Get it anywhere books are sold. You can go to fastthisway.com as well. And for all things Almost 30 membership... Join the evolution. You can go to almost30.com. We're really excited to welcome you and begin with you for this six-month membership. It will go on past six months, but the first enrollment is six months and will be themed every month with extra content, ways to connect with each other and with us in a more deep um, and personal way. We're just really... We're really excited and honored. Yeah, I'm so excited. And if you guys have been to our tour or events or are part of our community and our DMs online, you know, et cetera, you guys know how cool and special our community is and the women in it never cease to amaze me by inspiring me and just being so kind and open and loving. So I'm excited to just bring all of you folks together. Can't wait. Thank you for listening. As always, if this episode resonates with you or you think a friend or family member could benefit from listening, we would so appreciate you passing it on. And if this show has made a positive impact in your life, we would really appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. It means the world. It means All right, the world. Y'all. Thanks, guys. We'll see you soon. That's it. Love you. Bye. Bye.